This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in Caverns Deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 684. We don't welcome them anymore, and I want them to know it's still our pleasure. Of the two-headed nerd comic book podcast, I'm your head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick, and stick around after the show to hear about an exciting new business opportunity selling blue check marks on Twitter. NFTs are dead and blue check marks are the new frontier. And I'm your head number two. My name is Matt Baum. You want a blue check mark? You don't feel like sitting through Joe's super boring PowerPoint. I know a guy that can get you all the blue check marks you want. Don't listen. It is a trap. Judd it Winnick is, it's- just lost his the other day and he was like, screw you. Keep it. <laughs> like, who cares? He lost his? They took him away. You've got to buy him now. That's what they this- took them away. They, act- they took them away from the people that already have them. Joe, that's what this joke is about. Elon Musk is now <sighs> charging people for blue check marks. But that's not important. What is important in this episode, we tackle reviews of eight new comics from both this and last week. And after that, we'll set you up with our must read picks for next week. And finally, we'll give you a sneak peek of our giant-sized THN Extra. This time, we're doing the TLDR edition of Marvel's recent crossover, AXE Judgment Day. But before we pack up our two-headed celestial costume, we need to judge some new comics, which means it's review time in the ziggurat. There's just nothing like the first new comic book day of the month, but don't worry. We'll be covering new comics from last week, too. This week's new comics pile comes from New Comics Day 1026 and 11-2. And we got quite a pile here. Prepare your bodies for a new, bold voyage where no one has gone before. For, well, not the Enterprise, but Star Trek anyway. Another Marvel secret invasion. Sort of. Very few things feature the Enterprise in Star Trek. (laughs) Foul-mouthed occultists with hammers evil mall monsters and more but it all starts with the riddlers first day on the job take it away joe patrick (laughs) it sounds like i'm imagining like the intro to um the mary tyler moore show or which one is it where she throws her hat in the air is that mary tyler moore i believe that is mary tyler Uh, where it's just like the riddler eddie nigmo walking down the street feeling good about his life (laughs) yeah Yeah. and he jumps and freezes you know and then at the end end, he gets mugged and a girl turns him down uh, as Matt intimated, I am talking about Riddler Year One. It is from DC's Black Label. We're just, I'm, it's an imprint. Don't I'm calling it an imprint. I don't care who says not. It, it. is. It has to be. What else is it? <laughs> it's an imprint. It's an imprint. And Dan DiDio's not there anymore, so he can't yell at me for saying it. It's written by the Riddler himself, Paul Dano, All with right. art by Stevan Subic or Subic. Uh, there's some accents in there that didn't translate when I was, you know, cutting and pasting. Sorry about that. Here's your solicit. As depicted in Matt Reeves' hit movie, The Batman, the Riddler wasn't simply an amusing eccentric with an affinity for wordplay and baffling clues, but as terrifying a villain as any in the annals of the Dark Knight. Here you can see Edward Nashton evolve into the menace known as the Riddler. How did an unknown forensic accountant uncover the dark secrets of Gotham's underworld and come so close to bringing down the entire city? This six-issue miniseries is an immediate prequel 
to The Batman, the detailed, disturbing, and at times shocking story of a man with nothing to lose. Now, here's where the solicit gets real. Artist Stefan Subic makes his American Comics debut, including a variant cover that is the first of six interlocking covers. This collaboration with Dano delivers a shadowy and gritty tale of a society's forgotten man who refuses to go unnoticed any longer. Subic's recent Conan the Sumerian for French publisher Glenat or Glena or Glano or whatever. Glena. <laughs> Glano. Glano. Has brought him great acclaim in Europe, and he's about to break out globally with a Batman series unlike any you've seen before. Slow your roll, DC. Uh, fully one half of this solicit was about, like, check out this great new French guy we got. He's really good. And, I mean, look, he is great. The art's I great. Get, but calm down. Calm down. What, what retailer read that and went, oh, well, sign me up. Because you demanded it, the secret origin of the Batman's completely joyless version of the Riddler, written by the very actor who played the role. Paul Dano does a pretty admirable job telling the story of Edward Nashton's descent into madness. Yeah, I'm a little bit bummed his name's not Edward Nigma, but I get it. It's really silly. Like all of Batman's villains invariably are, Edward is an obviously troubled man dealing with untreated mental illness and taking solace in numbers, puzzles, and a 4chan-esque message board while trying to hold down a job where his talents are exploited. The solicit really does say it all. Eddie saw too much. Will it come back to bite him or will it break him? Probably the second one. Dano's script is good, but again, it's devoid of anything that makes the comic book Riddler a fun character, which makes this a very heavy read. Stefan Subic's art is incredible. A fevered splash of lines and colors showing Edward's visions creeping into reality. It reminded me very much of the work that Andrea Sorrentino does with Jeff Lemire. Oh, like I sure. got that kind of vibe where it's like definitely even down to like kind of like watercolor splashes outside the lines and like like writing creeping in. And it's like it's this is a gorgeous comic. Gorgeous. Yeah. And to give dude credit, he's doing it a different way, but it is it's similar. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not saying he's aping him. I'm just saying right. like it evokes it, it evokes that, you know, comparison. Riddler year one was a whole lot better than I was expecting it to be. Unfortunately, and this is a personal taste thing. I really have very little interest in this take on the character. I like my Riddler bright and ridiculous, not wearing a gimp mask and a heavy raincoat. So I'm giving this a skim it. If you really loved the Batman, check this out. It's good. It is a good comic. I just don't care about this Riddler. I just, I don't want to read more of it. Yeah. So I really love the Batman and I really loved Paul Dano's depiction of the Riddler in the movie, the Batman. And I'm fine with that depiction of the Riddler staying in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't, right. I, I don't feel like I, I'm just not that interested in reading a comic book version of it. With that said, this is an excellent comic book. You know, it's yeah. not every day an actor can come and write a comic book. We've seen writers do it, but when an actors do it, typically their name is on the front. They came up with the idea. And some other hack writers helping them crank out a crappy comic book. That's not the right. case here. Paul Dano did a very like Jada Pinkett Smith's menace. Exactly. Paul Dano did a very good job writing this. It's very well realized. The art is stunning. But outside of the solicit and a highly stylized picture of you know the Riddler from the Reeves Batman movie. I don't know if everybody knows what this is. If you're just walking by the rack and looking at it, I get the retailers read the solicit, understand this is a direct movie tie-in, but maybe put that on the cover, something like in quotes, the, the direct prologue to 
Matt Reeves, the Batman film, you know, I think put that on the cover other than knowing that actor's name, knowing Paul Dano's name, who we talked about before we started famous guy, but only famous for art films. He's not like a household name. You would not. Why does the cover of this not say the direct prequel to the Matt Reeves, the Batman, the Riddler year one? Why does it Counter- not say that? Okay, but counterpoint though, like, look, I'm not saying like marketing, I'm not a marketing guy. Uh, well, I, I mean, I kind of am. I do work in marketing, but who's going to be in the comic shop that doesn't know what the Batman is? Who's going to look at this? Com- who's going to be in the comic shop and see this and not immediately know that it's tied to the Batman? Plenty of people. I think plenty of in people. In the comic book store. Yeah. I've seen the Batman. Plenty of people. I, I, I absolutely gonna get think one that. Look at this and go, oh, that's the Riddler from the Batman. No, I think there's plenty of people that might not know. It doesn't say it on the cover. And if you don't know who Paul Dano is, all this is, is the Riddler year one. That's it. Okay, but that has nothing to do with the quality of the comic. So. No, that's what I'm saying. It has nothing to do with the quality of the comic. This is a falling down in the marketing on DC's part. It's another black label book that they were. They just kind of throw all this stuff. Fine. You know, whatever. I get it. It is adult. Maybe it belongs in black label. I think they should have marketed this a little better. Had something on the cover to let people know what they were getting into. So fans of the Rid- of the Riddler with the question marks all over his body, <laughs> you know, and like a green suit and whatever, don't pick it up and go, what is this? And people who are looking for something from the movie go, oh, that's what this is. I think it would be more successful. I'm going to give it a buy it because it is a very well written and beautifully drawn book. It probably could have been marketed a little better. Maybe this is just a bugaboo of mine, but I'm like you. I don't know that I'm going to read anymore. This is very good, though. Just not my. You know what? It's a skimmit. You're right. It's a skimmit. I have to say, I'm not going to read any more of it. I'm not picking up number two. I'm just not going to. I'm not interested. Okay. Like this is very well written, very well drawn, but I'm fine with this character staying on the screen. That's that's kind of where I'm at. You know, right. if, if you want, if you want to know more about Paul Dano's character, the Riddler. Yes, by all means, pick this up. I can't really recommend it outside of that. So I think it's a skim it. A skim it is not a negative review. It's a judge it for yourself. We think it's well written. We think it's well drawn. We just don't care. Right. I mean, I give a damn about Paul Dano's Riddler in comics, but let's see if I give a damn about damn them all. Number one. From Boom, $3.99. It's written by Cy Spurrier with art by Charlie Adler. Here is your solicit. Meet Ellie Bloody L. Hawthorne, occultist for hire. Following the death of Ellie's uncle, an infamous magician and occult detective, the 72 devils of the Ars Gotcha are mysteriously freed from their infernal realm. Now it's up to Ellie to track down each of these exiled demons and damn them right back to hell by any means necessary. All 72 of them. Holy water, conjuration, or just her trusty, rusty claw hammer. When writing about a British occultist as your main character, it's going to be impossible not to get John Constantine references in your reviews. So let's get it out of the way. Yes, the main character is British, practices magic, and the story takes place in London. That's where the Constantine similarities end, and Spurrier very cleverly writes the book 
like the best Guy Ritchie gangster flicks. Between introductions to mobsters and demons, we get the brutal background on Bloody L. Spurrier packs her with character and a filthy mouth, but makes her just likable enough to root for. There's some very cool and well-researched info pages dealing with the occult world that L works in. Adlard is perfect to draw the drab, gray climate of London. He also does a great job on the dour-faced, overweight gangsters and real-world settings, but with the help of colorist Sophie Dodgson, they turn the book into an otherworldly prismatic experience when demons show up, and their design is truly creepy. Like I said, Adler is fantastic at drawing people in desperate real-world situations, see his walking dead for more references, but I had no idea he could tackle the supernatural this well. Damn Them All looks like it's going to be a fast-paced gangster story with an occult twist starring a foul-mouthed female badass lead with a claw hammer and a creative team that was made to tell this story. I'm giving this a buy it. I totally agree about the efforts of the creative team. Like the way, like from the designs of the creatures uh, to um, the kind of lore of of, of how uh, this kind of spirit realm works and how they're summoned and controlled and stuff. I thought it was all very creative and honestly, like, and I'm sure that I'm guilty of it. We're both probably guilty of it. Um, saying that like comparing every British sorcerer or mage to John Constantine is like comparing every superhero that operates in New York to Spider-Man. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's not fair. It's like, <laughs> come on guys, be more, be more creative with your criticisms. I love the mob spin on it. Like how she works for the mafia yeah. and uh, all the quick the intros whole... of like the goons and stuff. Like it was great. It was, yeah. It was just like right um, out of snatch, you know, <laughs> it was yeah, really yeah. good. I mean, it was like a guy, Ritchie, like guy Ritchie. That's kind of an apt uh, comparison. Um, I thought this was a really good, it's really great to see Charlie Adler drawing yeah. something on the regular that like I, I actually see and read. I know that he's been busy, but I feel like he hasn't really been drawing anything that's been on the radar lately, or at least not something that we see on the regular. Um, but it was great to have him back. It was uh, a really fun read. This is a, a buy it for me. I will definitely check this out. Let's leave the grit and grime of seedy old London town behind and get into the bright and shiny depths of space. <laughs> the bright and shiny depths of space. You know what I mean. It's Star Trek. We're talking about Star Trek. I think the depths of space are kind of dark. But, <laughs> but you know, like, when you're looking at it through the lens of a, a Federation view screen, buddy, it's sure. all bright and shiny. Sure. It's all yeah, clouds about and nebulous. Even, <laughs> yeah. Even when things are exploding around you, yeah. it's all like, ooh. We're talking about Star Trek number one from IDW. It's written by Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly with art by Ramon Rosanis. Here's your solicit. It's Stardate 2378. And Benjamin Sisko has finally returned from the Bajoran wormhole. Omnipotent. But his godhood is failing with every minute. Sent by the prophets on a mission to the deepest parts of space aboard the USS Theseus. He witnesses the unthinkable. Someone is killing the gods. And only Cisco and his motley crew of Starfleet members from every era of Trek can stop them. From Star Trek Year 5 duo, Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly, you, you might know from the current uh, Captain America, uh, the Steve Rogers one, whichever one that is, Sentinel of Liberty, I yes, think. Yes, Sentinel of Liberty. Uh, they also wrote Batman Beyond for a while. With artist Ramon Rosanis, who has w done work for Marvel's Star Wars 
comes IDW's brand new flagship Star Trek ongoing series that goes where no comic has gone before. Deep Space Nine is hands down my favorite Star Trek series of all time. I have the utmost love and affection for others like The Next Generation and the original series. But something about DS9 really hooked me and hooked me big time. And that was Captain Benjamin Sisko. Now, three years after joining the prophets in the wormhole, three years according to Trek timeline, not real time. Obviously, it's been decades since DS9 went off the air. Cisco is back and it's like he never left. Almost. Like the Blues Brothers, Cisco has regained his corporeal form and is on a mission from God. Or at least, you know, the prophets, the weird wormhole aliens that live outside Bajor. After reuniting with his son and former crew, he sets out in an awesome new ship engineered and crewed by new characters and old friends. This issue really did feel like coming home. Thanks to the tremendous script by Lansing and Kelly, the writers know these characters inside and out and have weaponized them with laser-like precision. Cisco's reunion with his son Jake and his hesitance to finally meet his daughter for the first time while in his current state provide especially poignant moments that reinforce Cisco's humanity, despite the fact that he just spent the past three years as an omniscient being in a realm that transcends all time and space. There's also a really powerful scene between Cisco and Captain Picard that highlights the similarities now shared between two men who used to have a tense relationship at best. I totally forgot that they did not particularly like each other. <laughs> I forgot. And yeah, then it, and it all again, came I'm back gonna, to me like, in that scene. I was like, oh, yeah, they do not get I, along. <laughs> and I like I just want to like this is going to be like Cisco and Picard talk. It's in the book. So consider this a very mild spoiler, but like. Picard is like, why don't you just go to Starfleet and ask them for a ship? You are the hero of the, you are the savior of Starfleet. You won the Dominion War. Right. And he's like, yes. And I just spent an amount of time transformed by aliens that nobody understands. Right. And had my mind and body altered forever. And it's like, he all but says, does that sound familiar, familiar, locutus of Borg? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God. And then there's this, gr- this great panel by Rosanna. It's where they're like at completely opposite ends of a meeting table. Ah, such a great scene. Speaking of Rosanna's, the art is outstanding. He does a great job capturing the likenesses of the characters without it being a distraction. And when the likeness doesn't quite work out, he's able to capture their, the character's spirit. I love the design of the new uniforms and the Theseus is awesome. The ship's origin is also very cool and should be a treat to classic Trek fans. Star Trek number one is everything I want from an ongoing series from this franchise. It brings multiple generations together in a way that celebrates the best in each of them. And I could not be more excited to see what happens next. I loved this zero notes. It's a huge buy it. Yeah, this was great. If you're a Star Trek nerd, then you should know IDW makes great Star Trek comics. This is another fantastic one. This team has been working on Star Trek stuff for a long time. Will Rosanis is perfect at drawing this stuff because he he's not aping, you know, it, it's not like when we would complain about certain artists that were like, well, they're obviously sticking a movie star in this book, it, you know, it, right. He's capturing the character and doing a very good job of it, but he's also not like directly referencing pictures of that character so it works really yeah, well. yeah i mean yeah that's 
Yeah. 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 I would agree with that. And not just that, but the backgrounds are perfect. Like when they were walking around Deep Space Nine, you could just feel, you can see it. It's right there. Perfectly. It's like, oh, this is the promenade. It's like, oh, the promenade. Took you back. Oh, nice. Took me back perfectly. Uh, Only complaint is if you want to get me excited about old characters showing up, don't put them on the cover. I'm like, come on, guys. (laughs) You know, (laughs) the very last page where he's like, I'm going to send someone with you whose logic I think will keep you in line. Oh, that wasn't the very last page. That was in the middle of the book. That's before they walks in. Well, okay, yeah. But I mean, like, no, you're right. I mean, they there's like three or three or four more pages after that. Right. But it is on the cover. Yeah, Data's on the cover with everybody. Like, they're all on the cover. Everybody that's on this team is on the cover. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fair. So there just uh, aren't a lot no, of... No, that's su- true. Yeah, so they that kind of removes the surprises of who shows up. That's my only complaint. Uh, there was one real big surprise, though, as to who shows up. Uh, an old an old Trek character that's oh. involved. But yeah, yeah, I really like this. The caveat is, gotta be a Star Trek nerd. If you're not a Star Trek nerd, you're probably not picking up Star well, Trek no comics shit, anyway. Man. It's a Star so, Trek comic. Yeah, but I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying, but look. Why are you giving obvious caveats? Because there could be a caveat like, look, maybe you're not a Star Trek fan, but if you read this comic, I think you would love it so much that you might like Star Trek <laughs> or you might like this comic. There are comics that do that, that cross over. This one does not. It is preaching to the choir and that's fine. That's what I wanted to do. I'm giving it a buck. Let's beam back to Earth and talk about Dead Mall number one from Dark Horse. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Adam Cesare, or probably just Caesar, and with art by David Stoll. Here is your solicit: Shop till you drop. Get it? <laughs> the Pen Mills Galleria is about to be demolished. Five teens sneak into the mall to take a last look around before it's gone. However, while Pen Mills has been closed for years, the mall is far from abandoned a night of exploration becomes a shopping spree from hell the teens must contend with the sprawling transformative cosmic horror of pen mills or be trapped forever within the dead mall adam caesar is a critically acclaimed horror author and a leading voice in the emerging genre of contemporary ya horror it's an emerging genre i feel like it's been around for a while (laughs) i mean i don't know his book, Clown in a Cornfield, earned a 2020 Bram Stoker Award nomination. Oh, contemporary young adult horror. I don't know. I just felt like young adult horror has been a thing for a bit. I mean, look, but... man, they've been making goosebumps since the 90s. Right. Yeah. And Clown <laughs> in a Cornfield. Probably, that's probably not what they mean. Though. I think goosebumps was more for kids. Right. That's probably not what they mean. Yeah, I, I don't know. what. Uh, who knows, man? Clown they probably and- mean more stuff like Twilight. Clown in a Cornfield earned a 2020 Bram Stoker Award nomination, multiple starred reviews, and has been optioned for a film. Okay, big deal. Lots of stuff has, so settle down. Please, yeah. A horror comic narrated by a sentient mall has got to be a first, although it did take me a bit to realize who was narrating. (laughs) By the end, I had settled on the mall, as the monsters we meet seem to be fairly mindless. The design of the monsters is creepy and pretty good, but there's some real issues with the action and coloring that left me confused, namely in a scene where one character thinks she is teleported. There's also some scenes where the coloring changes suddenly, making it look like there's a spotlight in the mall, and then the colors return to shades of blue and gray. Now, maybe there's something going on there that I just haven't seen yet, but it was definitely a little confusing. Some of the characters look gangly and strangely chunky at times too, especially when they're supposed to be moving. 
it seems like the creative team is trying to suggest that some of what the kids are seeing is hallucinations, but there's not much help for the reader to key in on anything specific. Like some artists out there can do a trick, a, a really good trick. Like I would argue that they did in, um, uh, damn them to hell, right? Where the demons showed up and they did tricks with the coloring and the sort of prismatic, you know, like backgrounds and stuff. And everybody in the room kind of got sick. Like I'm seeing something weird and this is affecting me. We don't really get that here other than the kids are just scared and there's monsters chasing them. So I thought that it was that, um, the mall was like turning lights on and off and controlling doors and I mean, making them see things. Maybe like, that's it, what's going on in the comic. Maybe that's what it is, but like, and I'll get it, the, the doors closing. Sure. I'll, I'll buy that, but we never see like lights turning on by themselves. We do. Yes. There is panels just lit up. There's very specifically one scene where the mall turns on the store over the Forever 21 to lure that other yeah, girl no, into we do it. See, I'll give you that. We do see that. That definitely. We do see that. Moment, and it sort of whispers to her, like, come check this out or whatever. I understand. They also that built a fire. So there's like flames. Yeah, I you know, guess. I don't know. Flame light flickering around. There's probably the moonlight coming in through the skylight. Maybe. You that know, could be. It's, I suppose. There was just a lot of POV stuff that was, I just kind of got lost in this mall. And I know they want you to feel like, oh, you're lost with the kids. And it's changing. I just don't know how effective the art was in conveying it. That's kind of where I was. Well, it was pretty effective when they uh, stepped out into an MC Escher nightmare. Yeah. I mean, at the very end, then I was like, okay, got it. It's like Dr. Fate's, you know, library or whatever. (laughs) Got it. Caesar's story has definitely has a YA feel. So when it does get kind of bloody, the violence almost felt a little out of place to me. There isn't much time spent on this group of kids either. So there really isn't any reason to root for any of them. Maybe Caesar is setting up some kind of gritty look at the death of brick and mortar shopping, but right now it just feels like an excuse to have monsters with themes based on mall shops chase oddly drawn kids. I I can only give this a skim it like I didn't hate it, but I guess I just don't know what we're trying to get across here other than base level creepy mall kids are trapped in it. Great. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if I agreed that the monsters are themed around mall shops necessarily. Well, one of them the came one out with comes out of a barber shop with scissors. Yeah, well, I mean that might yeah. be that, that yeah. could be. And uh, look, if you and if you want to say, okay, yeah, it's got it's all threaded up because clothes are made out of needle and thread. Maybe, whatever. but but I would argue even that wasn't really well spelled out. So I don't know. <laughs> but I also that also didn't like I wasn't confused by it. it, it like so. Anyway, uh, let me get into my thoughts. Whether the monsters were tied directly or indirectly to the stores they haunted, um, that never occurred to me, and it didn't confuse me either because I didn't read the solicit beforehand, and most people won't. Yeah. So that's not really an issue. Um, like it's a haunted mall. There's monsters. So, I guess. Like, yeah. I, there's a reason why Chucky is a doll. You know, like he became a monster inside of a toy store but like, we know these it, things happen we know exactly why that happened though they show no, us exactly but why I'm, i guess I, I guess i'm like i, I made I, like i connected the dots like the, the 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 monster had scissors because the monster was inside the barber shop so okay why not okay um so like i, I guess it wasn't like a barrier to me is what i'm saying um 
I actually really liked the story. Uh, as far as like not really getting to know much about the kids, I thought they gave us an, a, a pretty fair amount. Like the sister was all paranoid about like being out late and needing to get home. And the other, her sister, uh, the other sister was like trying to impress her friends and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, pr- the monster was preying on that. Like, I, I didn't think they lacked any more identity than any other slasher movie teen, I guess. Um, I don't, I, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I don't think a lot of the slasher movies do a real good job of <laughs> like sure. Out, you know? um, <laughs> but it's also issue number one. Yeah. So like these kids are still in the mall. Like we like, I will say like uh, the violence was the, the art is a little on the cartoony side. So, yeah. uh, and they're, the uh, solicit talks about the guy being a YA horror guy. Maybe the violence is going to be on the like kind of low stakes side or at least less gory side. Okay. I'm looking now and I see like the last page definitely has like, there's like a houseware or like perfume. There's a woman spraying perfume on her face and the woman and the monster next to it is like a housewife with a rolling pin and she's got a rotten face. And there's well, like, yeah, I mean, there's a like sportswear a sportswear store, it's like a, um, a monster wearing yes. football pads, football you know, pads, yeah. like, hands cr- coming out of the ball. But yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, like it, it definitely plays on like it's those sticky. old, old, yeah. like come to the mall. Those ads where it's like happy yeah. family at the mall and it's like they're twisted but i'm looking in there are some weird lighting issues that don't quite make some yeah make a ton of sense and i think that's done intentionally because i'm looking at this page where something is revealed to them towards the very end that i won't spoil and there is a perfect square of yellow light right uh on top of the art and i think that the artist is or the colorist is doing that as like a Look at this. Yeah. No, they definitely do that. Strange. They they do it a few times. Like when the monster with the scissors cuts the guy's fingers off, there's like a perfect pink box showing you the guy is running, but look, the scissors are right between his fingers about to be cut up. Like, yeah, it's, it's certainly, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. I I didn't catch it when I first read it, but you're right. I see it now. And it's definitely like an intentional artistic flourish, but it also doesn't really like, it doesn't make much sense. Like right. it doesn't, I, I like you, you don't need yeah. it. You don't need it. Yeah. And then you look at it for a little bit and like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, what is the thing right. we're doing here? Um, I thought the monsters looked pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll give this a skim it as well because I don't know that I'll bother to keep reading, but I read it and I was like, you know what? If I was in the market for like a teen horror, like slasher thing this isn't bad i didn't think it was bad at all the art is kind of weird uh so i'm gonna give it a skin hurtling for time to today well yesterday november 2nd we're talking about the ones number one from dark horse written by brian michael bendis with art by Apparently, my close personal friend Jacob Edgar. <laughs> I think that's why Brian Michael Bendis retweeted at me. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you so much for throwing me under the bus last night. Uh, here's just a solicit: every single person in every mythology that was told they were the one are brought together for the first time to defeat the one, the actual one, the real actual one. This amazing new vision 
It, you know, I don't want to read all this. I read this last week. I don't it's think we exhausting. need to. Yeah, I think you you told them what it's about. That's good. Uh, I'm, here is a succinct explanation of the plot. Imagine if the characters from every prophecy where there was a chosen one still exist in the world and their whole existence as the chosen one was most of the time nonsense. Yeah. Like or they were just sitting around waiting for nothing. Well, but some of them count. Like there's a Buffy type character some here. Some of them count. There's, some of them count. There's like a Superman and, type character here, you know. And, well, he's a, it was, she, yeah, she's like a, she's like a Wonder Woman, Big Barda type. Yeah, something like that. Like uh, the last a, of her kind like a, that came to Earth. There's you know? a guy with a magic sword. Yeah. Um. There's a Sorcerer Supreme sort of fella that can't actually is not allowed to do any magic unless you know in, unless the world is on fire well he's allowed to he's, but just, he's never been in the right situation where he can he's use only it. allowed to do it when there's an apocalyptic <laughs> yeah. situation like there's some really and, clever stuff going on with him but then there's also there's also like the guy who was like and this is the elora dannon Right. The baby that will save us all and yeah. the guy just like got old and nothing happened and he's buying hemorrhoid cream and nobody, they don't leave him alone. But there's a really good explanation for that too, where the one dude's like, it just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> like, yeah, well, sometimes it takes a while. You know? I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, so imagine all of the ones, the chosen ones from various stories all meet and are banded together for a singular purpose. That is the, that is the premise of the ones. The BM Bendis takeover of Dark Horse continues with a new series that has been on my radar for a couple of months. I mentioned last week and a few moments ago that I am very, very casually acquainted with the artist Jacob Edgar. Don't listen to one them. They are e best buddies. One could even say we are barely acquainted. <laughs> but I've been following his updates about the series since I first saw him mention it on his Instagram. And so, yes, the ones I've been excited for it. I think the high concept is genius. Uh, as I said, all the prophesied chosen ones are here. Magic sword guy, your Buffy type, your sorcerer, the baby who's now an old man. They were all supposed to change the world. They've been gathered together to defeat the real chosen one, the ultimate evil. And of course, half of them don't even believe the nonsense that they're hearing. And the rest of them can't decide on a plan of action. It's great. Bendis's typical dialogue style is on full display. So, you know, take that for however you wish. He really seems to have ramped up the cursing to the level of trying too hard, though. I did, kind of the uh, I did kind of Kevin a bit a little Kevin Smithian yeah. <laughs> uh, here with the with the cursing. There's an especially great moment with Chester, the old man who was once the baby of prophecy, who just wants to buy his hemorrhoid cream when he's he's accosted by pushy, quote unquote, fans. Really, even the ones that are still fulfilling their duty are just trying to manage their boring and troubled lives, like dealing with workplace harassment or running their food truck in peace. <laughs> they all have a relatable sense of humanity to them. Now, I adored the art by Edgar, which has this sort of the ones, the animated series kind of, you know, style. Oh, for sure. But also with plenty of stabbing and blasting and dismemberment. His designs for the members of the ones are so painfully and purposely mundane, and it really goes a long way towards selling the concept of a group of poor schlubs having the fate of the world thrust into their hands. Um, I, I'm going to say this. 
Oh, wait, I'll, I'll save that for the second for the end. Uh, except, of course, for the Wonder Woman slash Big Barda ask Novus, who's the only legitimate superhero in the bunch and dresses accordingly. Um, there is. Um, I don't know. I hope it I hope it's a running joke that lasts for the entire miniseries. But there is another character in the group and the nature of that character. I do not want to spoil, but I thought it was so hilarious that I just want it to be true. The Ones has a great hook and great art with a good script by Bendis. He just needs to tone down that potty mouth of his. Uh, regardless, I'm on board for the rest of this miniseries. I think it's five issues. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, this reminded me of Bendis's powers, right? With sort of like the cartoony art, but maybe a little more lighthearted. Where you had this kind of yeah. different sort of almost animated style art, but a very heavy premise and serious shit going on. Uh, it's very Bendis. A lot of the characters sound like Brian Michael Bendis, but it's well, yeah. it's well written Bendis. I don't have a problem with that. I think this is where he excels. I think this is a, a good Dark Horse has been a good place for him so far. I didn't particularly love his other book, Joy Operations. I also didn't keep up with it, so maybe it got much better. But I think this is a good use of Brian Michael Bendis. Super clever plot, great art. I'm giving it a buy it. How many books can we review about the end of the world this week, Joe Patrick? This time it's... How many you got? <laughs> Behold Behemoth, number one from Boom Studios. It's $3.99. It's written by Tate Bromball with art by Nick Robles. Here is your solicit. House of Slaughter's Tate Bromball brings his first original series to boom alongside red hot artist Nick Robles, who worked on the dreaming waking hours. Grayson's world is crumbling following his brother's sudden and mysterious death. His sleepless nights are haunted by vivid nightmares of a terrifying monster, pushing him to the brink of losing both his sanity and his job as a social worker. But he's truly shaken to the core when his newest case, a young orphan girl named Ren, is found at the scene of a brutal murder just hours after first meeting Grayson. The line between nightmare and waking life blurs as Grayson soon discovers that the monster from his dreams might just be real, a mythical ancient beast that is bringing about the end of the world with shocking connections to both him and Ren. There's definitely a story about mental health, grief, and abuse here, but it almost gets a little lost at times in the way the story plays out. The creative team is playing with time, and while the main character, and the reader, I suppose, questions the main character's sanity, and it's handled very well, both in writing and art, it did make it a little hard for me to get invested in Grey. There was just a lot of it right? He's dealing with the loss of his older estranged brother and discovering a connection to an abused child, Ren. The art is outstanding. Robles' character's work is detailed and emotional, but he also uses these washed out, very watercolor backgrounds and foggy textured digital colors to give the whole story a very dreamy feel. So even like the waking normal life stuff still seems a little mysterious because we're all experiencing it through the eyes of gray i suppose gray has these very violent visions of either memories of or glimpses of the future portrayed in black and blood red that interrupt panels of his day-to-day -day, making the story even more strange and not i'm just gonna say hard to follow but maybe a little more staccato choppy and i know they're going for that but it definitely breaks up 
a lot of what I was trying to figure out was going on, I suppose. By the end, it becomes apparent that Gray had been seeing visions of the future after some kind of societal collapse, and he's partnered with Ren to try and change the world. It's just not real clear if they are partially responsible for the collapse, but I do plan on sticking around to find out. This is a weird book, but it's weird in the best way. I'm giving this a buy it. I can't say it. Robles. This kid is fantastic. He is really, really good. Yes, I liked this quite a bit. The art is great. The art is very good. Um, I liked this a lot. I I agree with everything you said. Um, I don't know. I feel like Nick, you kept saying, you keep saying Robles, but I can't believe that that's how it's pronounced. R-O-B-L-E-S? How else would it be? Robles? Robles? Robles or Robles, like Robble, Robble. I think it's Robles. (laughs) Like a hamburger. (laughs) I think that he's tremendous. I, I thought that his work here was so good. fantastic. Um, and I liked how the, you know, like his visions kind of intercut with what he was experiencing in real life. Cause like, he's obviously dealing with this profound grief and um, he's not dealing with it well. And what appears to be just like hallucinations uh, turns out to be something much more sinister. And I just think it's, I thought it was really cool. I liked this a lot. I'm giving this a buy. Yeah, it was great. Man, the guard is good. Wow. Hey, Matt. Hey, Joe. Did you like Secret Invasion? You mean like the old Marvel mini uh, years ago? Yeah, the, like the comic. Yeah, yeah the yeah. crossover. Yeah, it was a good time. Sure. You want to do it again? Uh, d- Do we need to? I don't know. We're doing it. It's Secret <laughs> Invasion number one. From Marvel Comics, it's written by Ryan North with art by Francesco Mobili. Uh, look, I don't know why we say names like that. I'm sorry. It's Francesco Mobili. Mobili. Uh, you didn't say I don't want to say it like it's a me. It's a me Mobili. <laughs> Here's your solicit. The Skrulls are back in a giant-sized issue, kicking off an all-new five-part miniseries. When Maria Hill detects the merest hint of Skrulls, she acts quickly to put her defensive plans into action. And when Nick Fury is sent to investigate a scroll sighting in Iowa, he finds the last thing he was expecting. I would argue he finds exactly what he was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> Our pale blue dot is in their sights. And this time, Earth's only defenses won't work. Find out who you really trust. The invasion begins now. OK, so I don't understand what this comic is for. Mm hmm. Other than to vaguely promote the upcoming Disney Plus show, which will more than likely have a completely different plot uh, and also doesn't come out for a full six months. Right. Ryan. uh, But but Ryan North is writing it. And I do really like Ryan North. So I thought, why not check it out? Everything about this comic is fine. It's just. Just fine. North spends most of the issue having Nick Fury Jr. tell Maria Hill a story that is clearly off which causes Maria to sound the scroll alarm and alert Earth's mightiest heroes. There are a couple of twists that you can probably see coming and a perfectly well-executed cliffhanger taking us into the next issue. The art by Mobili is similarly fine. So fine, in fact, that it leaves almost no impression at all. However, I did think some of his facial impressions were really well done. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, I'm not sure what we're doing here. As promotional tie-ins go, this one, which arrived with zero fanfare and zero stakes, and at least six months before the show it's supposedly hyping, is a real dud. At least the other Secret Invasion had, like, 
like it felt big. It had stakes. It tied into things like, yeah, it changed the status quo of the Marvel Universe. It was a crossover. Now it's like we're just going to put out a five issue miniseries starring not Thor, not Jane Foster, but um, the shield, the plucky shield agent that lives in Broxton. And we're going to call it fear itself. <laughs> no. It, why? What's the point? Why are we doing it? <laughs> but judged on its own merits, Secret Invasion number one is a perfectly fine read. I'm giving it a skim it because it's not bad. It's just like, what are we doing? Yeah. And so I'm going to complain about marketing again here because just like you, I don't get it. What is this? Well, yeah, like, this will grant you. Like, I don't understand the premise of the, like, right. I don't understand the point of this comic. This is like a passively aggressively marketed comic where it's like, is it in the regular Marvel universe or is it in the Disney MCU TV show? Oh, I, I think it's in the Marvel know. universe. I mean, it is because like when they cut to the scene with the Avengers, you have characters that are in the movies. Okay. Cap's here. Natasha's here. Black Panther is here. Uh, Captain Marvel is here, but then there appears to be Echo in her Phoenix form here. So, like, because it takes place in the Marvel universe. So, what are we doing? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. No, yeah, I mean, I like it's uh, the brand recognition. Right. I don't know. I I don't get it at all. And I agree, this is fine at best. But I and look, this is on me. This is continuity wonk me, my problem. But I couldn't stop scratching my head while I read this going, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? I, uh, like, I don't think that there's anything questionable about the continuity here. I just think that like there's no point to any of it. Right. I don't understand. You know I, mean? I, I just I do not understand. I'm, I'm going to give it a skim it. I think the art was a little better than you're giving it credit for. But at the same time, it's, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, you know, it's fine. At the same time, I, I just don't care much and I don't understand. Skim it. Yeah. I'm going to stick with my theme of hell and damnation, <laughs> which is carried through just about everything I reviewed. And now here we have hell to pay. Number one from image. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Charles soul with art by Will Sliney. Here is your solicit series premiere. The shrouded college will give you magic dot, 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 but you'll incur a debt until it's paid. You belong to them. Married couple Maya and Sebastian stone took that deal. They have worked for that college ever since using their new abilities to track down 666 cursed coins, which is pronounced crack. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> AKA the devil's dollar. I will refer to it as hell coin later on only a few remain the stones are almost free but the devil's in the details hellboy meets indiana jones in the supernatural adventure from charles soul who recently put out a billion genies and undiscovered country and will sliney who worked on spider-man soul seems to be on a winning streak lately with his two recent creator-owned titles but can he go for three this is goocher territory we're talking about joe so the stakes are very high Soul is a creator I have enjoyed in the past, particularly some of his Daredevil stuff. <laughs> he always had a very clever take on his plots, and that's what he brings to the table here. Hell's an awful place. We all know that. But did you know they had their own currency, and the demons that trade in Hellcoin are very particular about it. 
Soul's version of a fiduciary hell is a fantastic take. And what happens when 666 hell coins make their way to the real world is a lot of fun. We see a demon offering a hell coin to a puritanical tulip farmer, creating the world's first market mania craze for flowers, no less. And that really happened. That's a thing. If you told me hell coins were what powered crypto, I might find that more plausible than the actual explanation. We get just enough of the main character's personality and glimpses of their past to explain why they're gathering the coins on Earth. And the teases to their past are very effective. There's like one scene that basically one panel where you see them all messed up and someone's making them a deal and you go, oh, yeah, I might have done that too. I get it. <laughs> the real star here is Sliny with his amazing designs of hell and its demons. He's a very slick superhero artist, but he's also not afraid to get scary and gory when the story needs it. I've always liked his work, but he's really displaying some next level penciling here. The story will still have just enough superhero action and feel for the average Marvel and DC reader, but this team brings some real style and original twists to the book that make Hell to Pay a real treat. And how about that clever title to boot? Hell to Pay. Get it? <laughs> Do yeah, I am giving this a buy it and congratulations on your Goocher, Mr. Soul. So I guess we're just giving out Goochers now, huh? Well, you know, he's got three buy it's for me in a row, so yeah, for, it's our proprietary award, but whatever. <laughs> well, the um, Goochers yeah, got a know, proprietary award, the Golden Beppo. The Golden Beppo right. is a proprietary award, the Goocher is a thing that's out in the world, Joe. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, fine. Um, yes, I did like this. I'm not at quite as enthusiastic about it as you are, but I did like it. There are some things that I just were like, okay, just turn it like half of a click down a little. Um, I thought that there was just like so much lore, so much lore in this comic. Like he, he couldn't stop explaining stuff. And normally I'm like, okay, well, I like that, but it's number, it's issue number one. Like we've got some time. Especially when you get to the end and in the back matter, he's like, this is going to be a series of seven, six issue miniseries. And it's just like, OK, well, then take a deep breath, will you? Um, but I like the premise a lot. I love the idea of, of of hell being just a bunch of really shitty bankers like the joke about Mephisto really wanting to get into investing in marriages yeah <laughs> that would that would be in this right book, right like there's some really it, clever stuff like they, yeah. they show a demon like coming with it. he's like well what do you have today and he was like i have the idea of a child that a woman held in her head but she didn't marry the right guy so she had another kid that she doesn't love as much and she pictures this kid every time yeah. <laughs> and the demon's like oh that's fantastic give me that yeah, right. <laughs> like that is and, very clever <laughs> uh but yeah like that like I immediately was like, oh, yeah, Mephisto should be in this club because totally he would be you would feel right at home. But um, I thought the art was fantastic. And I'm like, you say the words, I've always loved Will Slaney and I'm not going to, like, call you a liar. <laughs> but I remember Will Slaney back in the day and he's come a long way. Oh. He's gotten a whole lot better. I really only recall because him being Will, very Will good. Slaney, Will Sliney is a guy whose name would I would see his name on a project. And look, if you're listening to this, Mr. Sliney, this is a compliment because I used to see his name on stuff and I'd be like, 
oh, it's that guy who kind of draws like that person that you like better than this. You know what I mean? It's like he draws like artist X, but artist X does it better. <laughs> and so it's just like never very enthusiastic about him. But I read this and I was like, this is awesome. He has leveled up big time. The art in this book is really great. The design, like these designs of the underworld oh, are so cool, elaborate and interesting. So cool. And even the designs of the demons and like they're in their like gothic nightmare bankers suits. Loved it. Are yeah. like really cool. Loved it. If you want to know more about the comics we just discussed, check out our show notes where you can find links with more info on the dark supernatural secret behind Dogecoin. And you can hit us up on our Discord to give us your thoughts. Matt, before we move on, we need to pick one of these new comics to enter the THN permanent collection. I'm giving it to Hell to Pay. I had a ton of fun with that book. It was action-packed and like great premise, great plot, and I think Soul's on a roll. I love it. Hell to pay. That's my favorite this week. Souls on a roll. Not to be confused with Hell to Pay, which was about a demonically like empowered hairpiece that haunted. <laughs> right. So. Yes. No. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, it's Star Trek. Uh, it 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 checked every box. I I read it for friend of the show Patrick Kavanaugh, president and CEO of Titan Comic Pressing, messaged me and he's like, "You need to read this right now." <laughs> And I like that night, I was like, okay, first thing out of the gate, I read Star Trek number one and he was right. And I, I've not stopped thinking about it. I loved it so much. It definitely um, felt like you just turned Deep Space Nine right back on. It definitely did. But not just that though, because it's, it's really about all Star Trek. Yeah. It is truly a flagship book. Yeah. And um, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see what happens next. Joe, you gotta admit, dressing the moment up like kids in Halloween costumes and sending them out to get candy was a stroke of genius. Did they all have to dress up like Vampirella, though? It seems a little inappropriate for kids. I got a massive deal if I bought it in bulk, okay? Now let's head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, sort out our Mole Man Halloween candy haul in the tasty pile for us, and we'll put all the candy corn and circus peanuts and almond joys in the Mole Man pile. While we are sorting... Why don't we tell these nerds about our must-read picks for next Wednesday, 11-9. My pick for next week is The New Golden Age. It's a one-shot from DC Comics. It's $4.99. It's written by Jeff Johns with art by Jerry Ordway, Steve Lieber, Diego Olartugui, and Mikel Janin. Sorry, Diego. Yeah. Here's just solicit. From the Justice Society of America to the Legion of Superheroes, the new Golden Age will unlock DC's epic and secret-ridden history of heroism, launching a new group of titles set firmly in the DC universe. From the 1940s to the 3040s, heroes take on the great evils of their time. But in the aftermath of Flashpoint Beyond, those heroes and villains will have their lives turned upside down. DC's future and its past will never be the same again. But how are Mime and Marionette connected to this? Why are Rip Hunter and the Time Masters the most unlikable heroes in the DC universe? And who or what is nostalgia? Also a womp womp because it's Watchmen related. Don't miss the start of the strangest mystery to ever 
have plagued the DC universe. Look, the it's the return of the JSA. <laughs> How do you this feel, is though? the start of it. How do you feel though when they're like, hey, Joe, you want the JSA back? Like, yeah, 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 I do. Like, okay, great. Uh, there's a side of this with it too. You got to eat. <laughs> and you go, oh, oh. <laughs> like, like the JSA okay, cake look, looks really good, but what is this? This has toothpaste on it. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> okay. Look, my feelings of DC's continued mining of the Watchmen universe is a separate issue. I did think that mime and marionette were cool characters. I do too. I thought they were clock. Um, do I care for more and more ties to the Watchmen uh, story? No, I do not. Does my love of the JSA and my desire to see them return to their rightful status as DC's oldest and best superhero team supersede all of that? Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> yes. So I will eat your toothpaste cake if it's also the best cake I've ever eaten. Fair enough. One question. When they say from the 1940s to the 3040s, does that mean the Legion is involved? So 3040. It's 20 years into the Legion. This is beyond existence? the Legion. Oh, okay. So I think, I think that it is, I think what they're saying is, is that the idea that like some version of the Justice Society, some version of a heroic golden age is kicked off by the formation of a group like the Justice Society. Okay. And it's a truth that will transcend from the 1940s to the 3040s. Gotcha. And so, yeah, um, I, I, I cannot wait. I can't wait. I hope it's as good as you need it to be. I'll say that. I did, if it's not, <laughs> oh, God man. help us all. My pick for next week is Traveling to Mars, number one. This from world a, will burn. My pick for next week is Traveling to Mars, number one, from a blaze. It's $3.99. It's written by Mark Russell with art by Roberto Melli. Here is your solicit from two-time Eisner and Harvey Award nominee Mark Russell and hot new talent Roberto Melli comes a compelling new sci-fi series. Traveling to Mars tells the story of a former pet store manager, Roy Livingston, the first human to ever set foot on Mars. Roy was chosen for this unlikely mission for one simple reason. He's terminally ill, and therefore he has no expectation of returning. Roy is joined on his mission to Mars by Leopold and Albert, two Mars rovers equipped with artificial intelligence who look upon the dying pet store manager as sort of a god <laughs> against the backdrop of not only his waning days, but those of human civilization as well. Roy has ample time to think about where things went wrong for both of them and what it means to be a dying god, a riveting story of planetary exploration and finding meaning in your final days. This is what Mark Russell does, folks, and no one is better at it. Here is a bittersweet comedy that takes place on Mars with a dude that has cancer and two robots. I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you had me at hello with, with Mark Russell. That's all I need to hear. The THN trade of the week goes to Isun Boshi. It's a hardcover from Oni Press. It's $34.99. It's written and drawn by Ryan Lang. Here is your solicit. In a feudal Japan where creatures of myth and folklore are real, a demon sets out to reforge an ancient weapon to take over the world. The only person who can stop him is an inches tall would-be samurai <laughs> who also happens to be the final and most important piece of the weapon, Isunboshi, a graphic novel 
is a lush retelling of the classic Japanese folktale, reminding us that one is not born a hero. You must discover the courage to become one. Yeah. So I picked this one because it is, it's like a very old Japanese folktale about a tiny little samurai who turns out to be like the bravest samurai of all. And it's just, it's an awesome story. And the like art. Like H.I. Private Eye. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but the art is Gorgeous. It's like this Don Bluth animated looking art. Ooh, love it. And it's just lush and beautiful. I think this looks fantastic. I'm excited for this one. And I like the original story too. Be sure to let us know what you guys are excited about reading. Be sure to let us know what you nerds are excited about reading next week. I can think of a really good place to do it. It's our Discord. We got a new comics channel. We're always talking about new comics. It's a ton of fun. Come check it out. Hang with us. People are making recommendations up in there left and right yeah, and changing great. lives. It's great. One post at a time. Before we get out of here, it's time for a sneak peek of our THN Extra. When you support THN on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to all kinds of extra content just like this. It's been a little while, but we're back with another edition of TLDR. And this time, the Marvel U is crawling out of the wreckage of yet another major company crossover that spans six damn months and 14 damn issues for the main event, six issues of the mini and eight main tie-ins. This time, the Eternals attacked the Marvel mutants in the pages of Axe. It's A period X period E. Judgment Day! If you checked in for the full experience, you retreated to 44 issues, including tie-ins that touched all the X titles, Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Avengers, and specials starring Star Fox and the new Iron Fist for sales reasons, I would guess. Yeah, certainly, yes. <laughs> It's just when we sit um, down and really look at all the tie-ins and you get the raw number, it just well, makes you when go, you count them, yeah, it's always <laughs> bad. Um, but it was actually eight issues if you count in the uh, zero issue, or it was it was prelude to judgment, right? One shot and the Omega issue, which does not come out until next Wednesday. We are ignoring those yes. because essentially those are just issues of Eternals, and the prelude was bad. <laughs> we agree. And we didn't like the prelude. We didn't like the prelude. And we came into this event going, I didn't like the prelude. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, it's actually good. So we're not going to visit all the tie ins. It's just the main storyline here. But we will give you the THN TLDR version of the major story points and their ramifications. In the end, we'll stand in judgment of the axe event. Just like a giant two headed celestial with our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. I don't know, Matt. For this one, we might just have to go binary. Thumbs up, thumbs down. The main writer-artist team behind the event was Kieran Gillen and artist Valerio Skeedy. Covers by Mark Brooks. Beautiful covers. Beautiful covers. And here is your event synopsis, courtesy of Marvel's Fandom.com. Or it's Fandom.com Marvel Edition. There yeah. are lots of different Fandom.coms. The X-Men have achieved immortality and mutants have taken their place as the dominant species on the planet. The Eternals have discovered long-hidden knowledge about their species, including a devastating truth about mutant kind. The Avengers have come into direct conflict with the Celestials and are currently using a fallen Celestial as their base of operations, slowly unlocking its secrets. When the Eternals brazenly target the mutant nation of Krakoa, the Avengers try desperately to de-escalate a potentially apocalyptic war, but this is no simple conflict. The Eternals' purpose cannot be denied, and Mutant Kind's future will not be threatened. 
And after the opening battles, new players and revelations for both sides will emerge as the inhabitants of the Marvel Universe are judged by the greatest power they've ever come into contact with. So before we get rolling, this is Gillen's first major company crossover. Congratulations, sir. Yes, yeah. that's true. I was going to say he was writing a journey into mystery around the time yeah. of like fear itself, but Matt Fraction wrote fear itself. Right. So. And he wrote some other like XE crossover stuff here and there, but this he's is, done all kinds of tie ins. This stuff. is the yeah, big certainly. one. Welcome to the big time, buddy. All right. So we're going to judge him harshly. Now, as we said, we did not care for the prequel, but the good news is you don't need to read the prequel. Axe Judgment Day number one is our first issue, and it sets things up. Pretty well. We start with the sunny day in New York. We have a mysterious narrator who is the same kind of like red hexagonal box. I guess it's not square. <laughs> hexagonal kind of boxes. And it speaks. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's hexagonal. I mean, and not in a jangly way. Right. But it speaks very much like the Earth computer that narrated a lot of the Eternals book that was written by Gillen does as well. But there's a twist and we'll get to it later. Joe and I spoke about it a little bit, and we were both a little hazy on it, but oh, I think we came to a- um, Pardon me, Matt. It's, they are octagonal because oh. they are eight-sided. Oh, boxes. you're right. You're right. They're octagonal. They're like really stretched out stop signs. Yeah, totally. But we'll get to the mysterious narrator in a little bit, but they're definitely setting up that there's something going on here. In the Eternals book that, was, that Gillen was writing, we see there was a schism in the Eternals. There's always a schism in the Eternals, but the latest one has them broken. They can't decide who should be running things. There's, There's always a schism. Power struggles. And so I think we can get it out of the way right now because they reveal it in the Eternals book prior to this. Right. Drew came up with this idea that the X-Men are not the X-Men, but mutants are deviants. And we're M here to stop Mutants deviations. represent excess deviation. Right. And the Celestials, one of their prime directives is to prevent excess deviation. But also simmering is the now common knowledge, at least among the Eternals, that for every convenient resurrection that an Eternal has made, when an Eternal dies, it is immediately resurrected by the machine. Right. For millions of years. Right. It takes the life of one human yeah. as payment. The Eternals pay know this. Because, not as payment, not, like, not like a, you know, like a nefarious bargain. But no, like, it's just... There's a, there's a cost, a life for a life. Right. It's the cheeseburger the machine has to eat to fart out a new human. Or fart out yeah, a new attorney. Right. Sorry. It's like I'll gladly I'll gladly pay you one human on Tuesday for a new life today. Right. Like Wimpy like from Papa. Excelsior. Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 684. Next week the Cosmic Long Box returns. And if you don't know what that means, it means we're talking about back issues based on a theme that we have not picked yet. So there will be one, I assure you. <laughs> Need to know that. <laughs> if you want to rap about this week's episode, the comics we just discussed, comic books you are reading, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following in our nerd news channel on our Discord, hit us up. We got a live call-in show. It's called THN Cover to Cover. We do it on Saturdays at 10.30 Central Time. You can watch the broadcast live on our Facebook page, but if you want to talk to us live, or chat with us in the chat room, you got to join our Discord to learn how it's done. And we set you up with something to talk about. We don't, we don't call them chat rooms anymore, Matt. Oh, okay. It's not 1996. The live chat, whatever. And we give you something to talk about if you can't come up with anything else. It's the question of the week. Joe, reset this business. 
This week's question is courtesy of Brian Domingos. Name an artist that you once liked, but you just can't hang with anymore. You loved them when they broke in, but they've changed their style so much that it just doesn't work for you anymore. I had a lot of trouble trying to come up with one of these. And then literally yesterday, one leapt into my head and went, oh. Usually, yes. <laughs> usually it goes the other way, like an artist improves, but there are some artists, some low hanging fruit that we mention frequently yep. on the show that I hope that you and I will not choose. And we're not ha- um, we're not hating on personal stuff. This is, has nothing with political opinions. This is art. Please, style. Yes, no, is this is discussing. all about art style. Yeah. That said, I don't. I don't want to talk about Ethan Vincent Skyver. <laughs> like, don't come in here talking about an obvious like right. comic skating group member. Um, just come with an artist and be prepared to talk about the art. Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. Uh, we need them on a regular basis and you can give them to us just like Brian did. If you can't make it to cover to cover live, shoot an MP3 to two headed nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. That's 402-819-4894. And you could be internet famous. Remember, please keep your recorded messages on the short side so that we can share the air with all the live listeners. If you're new to this show and we've offended your religious sensibilities with all the demon and hell talk this week, I assure you, it's not always like this and you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast, kids. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like longtime friend of the show, John Littrell, who just tripled his monthly pledge. And he did not get a raise. I work with him, all right? So I don't know where this money's coming from. And frankly, I don't want to know. That's fine. <laughs> we'll take it. If you like what you hear every week, it is easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash nerd. You will hear all kinds of exclusive content there. Or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal where we do accept Hellcoin. We're not scared. We'll take it. Before we go, I'm calling an audible. We've got a double weekly shadow, boys and girls. Oh, boy. And it goes to friend of the ziggurat, Frank Langella Cirillo. Frank's had a heck of a year. So here's to you hoping that the next one is better than ever. Yesterday was his birthday. Today is the birthday of the mighty Wooly Toots. That's right. It is Toots time all day today. It's our DM birthday. Happy birthday to birth you dudes. We love yous. You said happy birthday to birth you dudes. <laughs> I said both. No, you said birth. <laughs> happy birthday that. to birth you dudes. <laughs> happy birthday to birth you dudes. <laughs> That's beautiful. Until next time, true believer. Remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer. You said true believer. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just have Jeff Johns slip some Watchmen into your X-Men. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. That was a real nightmare.